This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up top of the hour, the uh, random player of the day. That continues. Reagan Carey, PHF Commissioner, Premier Hockey Federation. Their All-Star Weekend in Toronto at the Madame Athletic Centre, formerly Maple Leaf Gardens. Where the Maple Leafs used to ply their trade, now they are down the street at Scotiabank. And tonight we'll find the Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the Ottawa Senators in a rare edition of Hockey Night in Canada. Chris Cuthbert, play-by-play voice of Hockey Night, joins me now. Cece, how are you today, my friend? Good. Uh, good to be the random broadcaster of the day with you. <laughs> well, I kind of do this. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I kind of threw it out there frivolously with my producer a couple of weeks ago, and it's kind of taken a, a, a life of its own here and reach back into history and just have players, you know, people submit random players' names. And to be honest with you, it gives me something to do while I'm watching endless games uh, the, the, the night before. So today's is a special one that reaches back into the into the 60s and 70s. So we'll stay tuned for that at the, uh, the top of the hour. Uh, so that's old school, and the new school very much on display tonight. Night, whether it's youth in Toronto, whether it's youth with the Ottawa Senators, we'll focus on the big story, Chris, and that is Austin Matthews and the knee injury, um, which the Maple Leafs say happened during the New York Rangers game on Wednesday. First of all, did you notice anything about Matthews during that game at all, or did this come as a surprise to you as it did to us? Well, it does come as, as a complete surprise, but now I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots, and something happened in that game that nobody would have noticed, but he agreed to wear a mic for uh, the TNT guys and took the mic off after warm-up. And I I thought that was strange because, you know, um, unless Biz threw him a curveball that he wasn't uh, looking for, and I don't think that happened, (laughs) uh, you know, why would you you put the mic on in the first place? So that... That might have been a sign, and and because of the timing of it, and I and I know Sheldon mm. Keefe said it happened during the game, and I'm I'm not questioning that. Uh, I'm wondering if somehow he might have aggravated something that had happened in the game before, and I'm only suggesting that because apparently there was something wrong in the warm-up, unless that was just a a question from the uh, TBS panel that can throw you a couple curveballs. <laughs> well, I think at various times this year we've wondered as well about how he's because like this this doesn't look like a season with you know normal and traditional Austin Matthews type production. It's still elite. It's just not Matthews elite. Like I I wondered Chris at the beginning of the season, and again I am not saying that this is a fact. This is only something that I wondered. You know I wondered about maybe was there a back issue because all of a sudden. You know, it didn't seem as if Austin Matthews was taking one-timers anymore. I'm like, where did the Austin Matthews one-timer go? He used to dine out on that, and somehow now we're really not seeing it and just trying to, as you say, connect the dots and come up with their own theories. At various points this season, I think to, to most of us, we've looked at Matthews and said, something just seems a little bit off with Matthews. Have you sort of arrived at the same or, or similar conclusions? You know, I, I was there early in the year, and I, I think maybe what you were talking about, and a lot of misfires on one-timers, too, uh, where, you know, we'd seen yeah. so many of those in the back of the net that he was healing into the corner or, or almost whipping on. And, I, I you know, I, I remember a cross-check or a few from J.B. Ben early in the year. I, I actually, you know, in the last month or so, I, I kind of re- calibrated my analysis to to um to that he was just 
trying to be a different player this year. I mean, on on in the last game, I believe he took over the league lead in block shots by forwards. Yes. I, I mean, his defensive yeah. game has been uh, pretty solid all season long, and it was just like he was prioritizing a different part of his game to me. And maybe he hasn't been 100%, and maybe we still don't understand exactly the impact of the wrist injury he had last year. But uh, for the most part, I mean, he, he went into the last game. I think, I think he's, he ended a 16-game home point streak. He did points in 10 straight that he had played in, uh, although it wasn't mm-hmm. <laughs> recognized as a, as a league mark because he missed those two games uh, earlier in the month. But, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't Austin Matthews of the 60-goal vintage, but it's been pretty good Austin Matthews for, uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, it certainly has been, and and certainly is. Uh, I, I think we're wondering, you know, what the what the uh, what the ramifications are now for the Maple Leafs uh, lineup. Do they just go the easy route, you know, slide Nylander back to the to the middle, uh, Pontus Holmberg perhaps slide to the middle? Do we have a a sense of what the Maple Leafs are looking at for tonight? Sounds like it's going to be, and you're right, I thought immediately, well, Nylander moves to center, but uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it sounds like Sheldon Keefe wants to give. Uh, Pontus Holberg a look in a in an elevated role and uh, and, and you know that's what this regular season's all about uh, all kinds of uh, uh, different combinations uh, you know test drive a few different things and uh, um, Alex Kerfoot's going to center the fourth line tonight in a in a perfect world if you acquire a top six forward uh, where does Alex Kerfoot land at the end of the day. Um, maybe he is the fourth line center, but um, where does that put Holmberg? So there's there's still a lot of questions to be answered, and uh, at least they get a, a better look at some people uh, in different spots. Um, did you watch any of the the Tampa Boston game last night, Cece? You know what? I I wanted to. I've I've PVR'd it. Uh, I was paying more attention to Detroit Montreal because we've got Montreal Ottawa tomorrow as well. But I was kind of flicking around, right. and uh, it sounded like that was a playoff game. Uh, you know, but I'll uh, I'll, oh. I'll leave that to your analysis. Well, I, I'm I'm just curious. I mean, you've seen both these teams play, and you know, yesterday was you know this was the the, the clash of the titans. You know, two of the the league heavyweights, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I've always maintained it's the fool that bets against Tampa, uh, against this juggernaut that is the uh, the Boston Bruins. And I got a text from a buddy of mine last night saying, you know, if I'm the Maple Leafs, I'm watching this game and I'm terrified, based on what you've seen from Boston this year. Based on what you've seen from Tampa, now, mind you, the Maple Leafs have played both of them really hard and really well. When you look at what Boston is serving up this year, when you look at what Tampa always serves up, and then you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, any reason for the Maple Leafs to look at these two teams and say, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to be trouble again? Well, I've been throwing this theory around in the last week, and, and I did read a lot of the post-game stuff that, uh, I mean, the Lightning really did prioritize that game. They wanted to make a statement, and I, th- I think oh, they yeah. did. Um, in the last week or two, I've wondered, you, I mean, you're a, you're a junior hockey buff, and you know in junior hockey you, you, you look at your team and you have to decide what's the year we're going all in. And that's what yeah. all teams that win the Memorial Cup do. They, they identify a year and they, they throw everything at it. And, and you know, it's, it's a different league, but I'm 
I'm seeing more and more of the load up and tear down and start over again in the NHL like it is in junior hockey. And, and I'm wondering if, if the Leafs don't look at next year as a better year to be all in than this year when David Pasternak's making 11 or $12 million and, and Patrice Bergeron might not even be with the Bruins or David Krejci might not be with the Bruins and their salary structure is, is different and the Lightning are another year older. And, and I know you, you can't pick a perfect time because there's, there's other young teams coming as well. Uh, but I, I think it would give me pause if I'm running the Leafs to consider whether or not now's the time to throw it all in and try and run the gauntlet or, or, or keep your powder dry and, and find out what you really have in, in Matthew Nyes and, and maybe do that next year. And, and all of that theory is really complicated because Kyle Dubas only has one year. And so the question is, does he push all his chips in because this is his year or is he limited in how many chips he can push in because it is potentially his last year. So I, I think it's fascinating. And, and for me, I, I don't know whether the, the Leafs nibble around with some lesser uh, additions that don't cost as much and, and think we've got a pretty good team and maybe we, maybe we can capture lightning in a bottle this year or whether it's, it's go for broke. I, I think it's a really intriguing decision it's, for the Leafs in the next month. It's an interesting. It's an interesting idea, Cece. Now that I sort of noodle it in my head, because I kind of look at it a little bit like what the Avalanche have enjoyed the last few seasons, and the Maple Leafs would enjoy one more season of this, and that is a, an Austin Matthews contract. That isn't bigger than the new Nathan McKinnon extension, which we all expect the next Austin Matthews deal to look like. So they still do have Austin Matthews, albeit at a large number, but not a number that it's going to be at in a couple of seasons where they're going to have to make some really difficult choices and they're going to feel a little bit of pain. So I don't know that it's the worst idea. I think, to your point, complicating things um, is the Kyle Dubas situation. And I think maybe, you know, listen, Samsonov has had an outstanding season uh, for the Maple Leafs. And I don't think, you know, based on the, the work that we've seen so far, that he's going to come in uh, at a quote-unquote cheap price. So, and then there's the extension for Austin Matthews. You know, what is the message to Austin Matthews if, you know, you come this far, another 107, 110-point season, and you don't go all in at trade deadline. I love it as a talking point. I really love it as a thinking point. And I'm curious, like you are, to see which direction the Maple Leafs go in uh, come trade deadline. When you look at Ottawa at the other end of the rink, what's the thinking there? Now, this is all under the umbrella of the impending sale. But what do you think? people in that organization are thinking right now like a lot of them you know we're given one-year extensions for next year so they're covered off even if new ownership comes in and completely dusts the field but what are you thinking if you're ottawa things have not gone swimmingly or according to plan by any stretch of the imagination no i i i, I my expectation would be that ottawa thought they were going to be what the buffalo sabers are this year of that 
final breakthrough yeah. into uh, into the into the playoff conversation, and and I, I maybe Buffalo's the most interesting team in the league right now uh, because they're they're surging and, and all yeah. that talent that they've accumulated because of uh, you know how many years of frustration it's it's starting to it, it's starting to take hold, and and it hasn't in Ottawa, and 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 there was a little bit of quick fix there. I mean, there had to be. Uh, that thought with, you know, prioritizing Claude Giroux at, at 35 years of age, and he, he hasn't yep. disappointed, but, um, but the team hasn't taken the next step yet, and a lot of that is, is probably because their, their back end is, is not there yet. Their five-on-five five play is, is not there yet. What, what strikes me as interesting about Ottawa is they're the third-best special teams team in the league uh, per rank, and yet... Here they are with 45 points, and you'd expect them to be better with special team success. And uh, um, obviously, Josh Norris and that injury has uh, has been tough, oh. and, it, and it makes that top nine look a whole lot different, doesn't it? Judge, just a crusher. Um, I want to. I've got about two minutes left here with you, CC. I want to ask you about one player specifically. Um, I love him, and I think this guy is going to be a, a star in the NHL for a long time. What does Chris Cuthbert think of Tim Stutzla? Oh, I, uh, you know, it, it, those are the guys that uh, you do build teams around. Uh, I know there's some frustration today in Toronto and Ottawa because Stutzla wasn't added uh, to the All-Star game <laughs> in place of Matthews. William Nylander yeah. wasn't uh, named in place of, uh, of but I, I love his compete level. I mean, the talent is, is off the charts, and uh, um, yeah. I think we'll see the best Tim Stutzla tonight. He seems to bring it when he plays Toronto. Of course, he scored his, his first NHL game against uh, the Leafs as well. So there's one guy I, I don't think you can say uh, you've been <laughs> disappointed with this year. And, uh, um, yeah. and you know, they do have some, some pieces with Stutzla and Kachuk and, 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 and Pinto and, and hopefully Josh Norris. Can I can I give you my going down the black hole, uh, Jeff Merrick special yeah. before we go? So we'll Always. see Ridley yes, Gregg tonight. Please. And uh, as yes. everybody knows, Mark Gregg was his uh, uh, his father was drafted in 1990 in the uh, uh, 15th overall. So I, I did a little uh, dive into the 1990 draft, and here's what I came up with: Mark Gregg at number 15, Keith Kachuk at 19, Jeff Sanderson at 36. Dwayne Norris at 127. How about four sons in the lineup tonight whose fathers were drafted in 1990 in the NHL draft? I absolutely love it, and I believe, hang on, I'm going to do this on the fly. Uh, The last remaining player, okay, hang on, I think I have this right. Yes, okay, so there is one person remaining in the NHL from the 1990 draft. Do you know who that is? Wow. Oh, I do know. I do know. Trick question, but I I come prepared, sir. Wes McCauley drafted 150th in that draft. I love you, CeCe. Yes, absolutely. Trick question. Referee Wes McCauley drafted uh, by the Red Wings. That's why you're the good, sir. That is why you are the Almost Yarmer Yager, too, but uh, not quite. Still playing in Clad. No, he's still playing in Clad. No, not exactly yeah. the NHL. I know the Penguins won a retirement. I thought where you were going, but he's... you did say NHL. 
I uh, don't swerve there for you. Okay, we'll be tuned in tonight. Thanks, as always, for this, Chris. Much appreciated. Okay, Jeff. My pleasure, as always. Thanks. There you go. I love that. Uh, he nails it right away. Oh, trick question, Wes McCauley. 1990 draft, still on the ice in the NHL. Uh, okay, so tonight, Hockey Night in Canada, a rare Friday night edition. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, that's a number of games on the board going on uh, this evening. You can watch that one on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, a little bit later on, it'll be the Kraken and the Flames. Man, Calgary tough one last night against the Hawks. And they're in there against, you know, maybe the best team in the Pacific. Vancouver Canucks and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Round three for Rick Tockett's Vancouver Canucks. Watch that one, 10 o'clock Eastern as well on Sportsnet Pacific. Going to hit a break. Random player of the day. Going back to the Wayback Machine in the 60s for this one. Bleeding into the 70s. A couple of interesting stories here. Reagan uh, Carey is the um, commissioner of the Premier Hockey Federation. We'll talk about their All-Star Weekend. And we can review. Keep it here. Hour two. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining me as always here. Um, I want to get to the random player of the day, but first want to remind you that uh, Reagan Carey is going to be dropping by in a couple of moments. She's the commissioner of the Premier Hockey Federation in Toronto this weekend, Madame Athletic Centre, formerly Maple Leaf Gardens. It is the PHF's All-Star Weekend. Uh, A lot to get to. Uh, as it relates to the PHF, not just uh, All-Star Weekend, but also Daryl Watts, uh, who signs a, a contract in the PHF for the Toronto Six, uh, becomes the highest paid player with a deal worth $150,000 U.S. per season. Um, like, and I don't blame them for it, but, you know, they, this, is a, this is an operation that continues to try to lure players from the PWHPA and have already done so, whether it's Brittany Howard, whether it's Lauren Gable, whether it's Cassidy Sove, you know, lure players away from the PWHPA who are still without a league and still no information about a league other than, you know, whispers that only go so far because everyone's NDA'd up. Um, and they're like, look, we're paying people here. You want to make some money? You want to get paid to be a uh, professional hockey player, the PHF is the act in town. So we'll talk to Regan Carey about this coming up at the, uh, it's around the, around the uh, quarter after mark here uh, on the hour. Meantime, random player of the day, Matt Marchese. Matt, we're going to hear more from you in the weekend review coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, uh, you've had a lot to choose from here for the player of the day. This is uh, kind of taken on a life of its own, including Ken Reed. I think this remains Ken Reed's most favorite segment on this program, probably because we look at old timers, which Kenny loves. Uh, what do we have today? What are we presenting? We have a former defenseman. Um, stay at home. Stay at home would be uh, a very kind way of describing the way that this man played. <laughs> um, yeah. He played a long time in the NHL. This one, this one, submitted by Richard Chung, and it is Terry Harper. You know what the Terry Harper hat trick is? I do, and it's brilliant. <laughs> Three goals in a season. <laughs> so they refer to the, the Harper like hat trick. Stay at home. It's like, yeah, stay at home in the basement with the doors locked and the windows closed. That is Terry Harper playing defense. Well, Terry, I mean, one of the interesting things with Harper was, you know, there was a feeling 
around you know late 50s early 60s that Montreal was getting pushed around too much and that as the league was getting tougher Montreal wasn't getting tougher commensurate with the uh, the other five teams in the league so for the 63-64 season they went out and signed three players so first of all they made Terry Harper who would have played maybe 10 or 15 games with the Montreal Canadiens the season before he became a fixture he became a everyday player for the Montreal Canadiens like Terry Harper he didn't always win all of his fights. I would argue he lost more than he won, but he always answered the bell. So Terry Harper becomes a full-timer. Also, they make a deal for Ted Harris, make a deal in the American Hockey League with Springfield to bring him in. He's also a tough defenseman. And the big one was they made a deal with Cleveland of the American Hockey League and brought in John Ferguson Sr., who many point to as the NHL's first true enforcer he became the cop on the beat he was there to make sure that nobody messed around with Jean Beliveau the interesting thing about that was Beliveau could always handle himself Montreal just didn't want him handling himself you know Rocket Richard could take care of his own business Gordy Howe could Ted Lindsay etc you know go through the era as as Dick Irvin always reminds us the best players in the league were also the toughest players in the league Montreal wanted their players to skate with a security blanket Trey Harper was a piece of that uh, so was Harris and so was the legendary and scary John Ferguson okay so uh, you mentioned stay-at-home defenseman uh, won five Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, went to the Los Angeles Kings, became their captain, uh, was traded to the Detroit Red Wings. We're going to get there in a second. In the legendary Marcel Dion deal, which was a whopper and easily the best trade that Jake Milford ever pulled off. St. Louis Blues and finished up 15 games with the Colorado Rockies. Now, Harper played just over 1,000 games in the NHL. According to HockeyFights.com, had 45 fights in his career, mainly against Boston and Toronto. He fought three players three times. Uh, Forbes Kennedy, no surprise. Dennis Hextall, no surprise. And Orlin Kurtenbach. Now, I'm curious about this one because Hockey Fights lists um, him fighting Kurtenbach three times. I think it might actually be four, and here's why. I've got video, and you know, one of my one of my old videos here of a brawl at Maple Leaf Gardens. It's the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it all starts with John Ferguson, Senior, trying to get at Bobby Bond, and Curtinback and Harper square off. First fight, and Curtinback fought like a boxer. He didn't grab on and throw. He just sort of you know knuckled up and punched like a boxer. So he fights Harper, uh, knocks him down, fights over, skates away. Harper chases him, comes back for more, and Curtinback zips him under both eyes. Now, does that count to you, Maddie, as one fight or two? It sounds. It sounds like fights amongst the same brawl. It sounds like two losses, is what it sounds like. <laughs> so I think well, it's it two, two fights. <laughs> if it's two losses, it's two fights. Terry, <laughs> Terry Harper, bless him, bless him. Um, you know, again, you know, he kind of like Keith Magnuson in Chicago, always answered the bell, even sometimes when he shouldn't have answered the bell, always answered the bell. Now, as a kid, Terry Harper was in a horrible fire, uh, three third degree burns to most of his body, his arms, his chest, his stomach, and his legs. The reason he started playing hockey and skating was 
the doctors felt that he could gain back his leg strength and increase his leg strength uh, by playing hockey. Now, Terry Harper, this may sound weird to a lot of people, Terry Harper was a huge part of hockey history. And there's one thing that no matter which arena you go to either tonight or this weekend or next week or next month, there is something at the rink that you can see and the origins of it go back to Terry Harper. And that is the penalty box. Mm -hmm. And specifically, the separated penalty box. We go back to October 30th, 1963. Now, previous to that date, players, when they served penalties, as bizarre as this may sound, folks, this is the way it was, sat beside each other in the penalty box. There was only one penalty box, and everybody went in there. If there was a line brawl, everybody piled into the same box. They were not separated. As weird as that may sound, there's plenty of photographs of this and video as well of players fighting, going in the box, and then just sitting beside each other. And you think to yourself, uh, that's okay for now maybe, but one day this is going to change. And on the day before Halloween 1963, it did. Uh, it was a fight between Terry Harper and Bob Pulford, Pulford of the Maple Leafs, Harper of the Montreal Canadiens, um, that pretty much ended the idea of players serving penalties beside each other in the same box. Uh, the following week, Maple Leaf Gardens introduced uh, two penalty boxes. And then I think it was two or three weeks after that that the, uh, the forum in Montreal uh, followed suit, and then the NHL put out a recommendation that all arenas follow the exact same standard. Now, the other thing about Terry Harper, and we see th- we see examples of this maybe in, in in the NHL today. Maybe a player like Jonas Brodin as well. Terry Harper was a better skater backwards than he was forwards. Now, he was never the most graceful skater. If anyone's seen video, knows that. But going backwards. He was a really strong skater. You know, Bobby Hull, whenever he was asked, you know, who the toughest defenseman was to get around, would always say Terry Harper. Like, he was a really good backward skater who was able to, you know, hold up players like Hull and Makita and everybody else in the, you know, superstars in the, in the, in the, in the, in the five other teams around the NHL. So that's Terry Harper. Okay. Tough, uh, played on a number of teams. And he'll go down in history as being part of the fight that ended the idea of there being a shared penalty box. So when you go to a rink this weekend, folks, look at the penalty box and how it's separated and think that's because of Terry Harper and Bob Pulford in 1963. Now, this is something that it's it's kind of been most recently, and I sent some notes out about it this morning as well, because I am having a hard time finding further evidence of this. But... Jake Milford, okay, so Jake Milford in 1973 was the, um, was the general manager of the Los Angeles Kings. So Jake Milford does a deal for his Kings with the Detroit Red Wings, and it is a classic fleece job, Maddie. It is one of the most lopsided trades in the history of the NHL. You know how, um, you know how when we work with Berkey, Brian would always say, you know, when I broke into the industry, general managers were pirates. Everybody was looking to rob everybody else. Nowadays, 
you know, general managers are more, well, what can I help you with? What can I help you with? How does this trade help you? Everybody wants to be buddies. Nobody wants to fleece anybody else because of relationships. And we all know how these things get, um, you know, th- things get worked out and how managers jump all over the place and they don't want to, you know, burn a rival or burn a city. Anyway, that didn't exist once upon a time. These guys were pirates. Like if you shook hands with a general manager in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever, if you shook hands with any of these managers, it's probably best if you count your fingers after. That's the way it was. So this Jake Milford trade was a fleecing, like an old school fleecing. It was Marcel Dion, Hall of Famer, one of the best ever, and Bart Crashley go from Detroit to Los Angeles in exchange for Terry Harper, Dan Maloney, and a second round pick. Dion goes on to be one of the best players the game has ever seen. The centerpiece of the Triple Crown line, one of the best lines of its or any other era in the NHL. Harper, Maloney, and a second go the other way. Now, one of the great stories about Jake Milford, and I keep trying to get more information about this, is when he played in Springfield in the American Hockey League, the coach, general manager, owner, everything was Eddie Shore, right? The legendary villain, uh, Eddie Shore, who, by the way, really embraced his villain status more than maybe anybody else in the NHL, this side of Sean Avery. When he would take warm-up, Maddie, Eddie Shorewood, legend goes, if he went into a rival's building where they really hated him, he would wear a black cape in warm-up. you imagine a player skating around an NHL rink in a, warm- in a black cape? That's how much he embraced being the bad guy. Eddie Shore is alleged to have traded Jake Milford to Buffalo. That would have been Bison's. In exchange for two hockey nets. Oh. You know, we've always heard about players getting traded for a bag of pucks, right? <laughs> That's the old thing. Oh, just trade them and get a bag of pucks. How about being traded for two hockey nets? And here's the kicker. They were two used hockey nets. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Was it if they were brand brand new nets, as as legend goes? So that is I guess our random player of the day, Richard, thanks for sending that in. Terry Harper and a little bonus, I guess, with a little bit of Jake Milford trivia thrown yeah. in for a little bit of spice. And and Terry and Terry Harper, like if you for anybody that's watching, you can you can find the fight between Terry Harper and Bob Pulford. And they go in, they sit down, and everything seems fine. And then Pulford just gets up and then they're just throwing haymakers. Like it's yeah. a really good fight in it's the okay. box. Okay. Here here's the thing about that. You know, years later, Terry Harper, when asked about it, just said, like, yeah, geez, I don't know. I don't know what, what happened. That's You tell me that Harper didn't say Like, you look of at Pulford's reaction. You tell me that Harper didn't say it. Like, that, to, that, to me, is one of the great trivia quests of all time. What did Harper say to Pulford? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get him to stand up and start throwing. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> like to pull out did. the second part of this line, but the only thing that came to mind was, geez, Reg, what'd you say to him? That's the what only to thing. say to him. <laughs> Hand or hand went bananas. Yeah. Um, but hand the hand the other bananas. thing, the other thing with Terry Harper too, he ended up becoming an assistant coach at the Colorado Rockies um, while yep. he was playing, which was a, a more common uh, occurrence then. Coach. Yeah. I think you know. I think he might have. He may have retired. Is, I think he might have. 
I think he might have started just as an assistant coach and then got lured into like that did happen, you know, previously in, in the NHL various times. Um, he got lured into playing a handful of games. How many how many games did Harper play with the Rockies? Fifteen. You have that handy? Okay, so fifteen games. I think he might have got sort of talked into it. <laughs> Here, we, we, you know what? Your backward skating is great, but your forward skating is not very good at this point in your career. Uh, we'd rather you just be an assistant coach. He, his backward skating was probably so good because he never had to skate forward because he stayed at home so much. Stayed at home, yeah. I'm just skating backwards. I'm just skating. I always, I, I always, uh, just just as an as, a, as an aside, you know, All Star Weekend is on the horizon. I've always wanted to see a backward skating contest at the All Star Game. I know they're secured, and I, there's it's not security, but safety issues around the NHL, and they've always been sort of hesitant even to do the fastest skater um, to begin with, like around the turns, and if someone loses an edge and slams into the boards, what does that mean for their their NHL team if they lose their star player? To say nothing of trying to do the same thing but backwards, but I've always wanted to see a back, just to see who the fastest backwards skater is in the NHL. And as I've mentioned before, to me, my money is on Jonas Brodin of the Minnesota Wild, who I, I think is still the best. You know, backwards you, skater in the league. You know what I want to see? I want to see a, a competition where forwards skate backwards because um, I've had conversations with Anthony hmm. Stewart before, and he says. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised at, at how many how many guys are not great at uh, skating backwards that happen to be forwards. That's awesome. All right, uh, Maddie, you punt. We'll join you back again at the bottom of the hour for the weekend review. In the meantime, uh, we turn our attention to the Premier Hockey Federation, the PHF in Toronto at the Mattamy this weekend uh, for the PHF All-Star festivities, culminating in a, uh, in a round-robin and championship game on Sunday. Team Canada, Team USA, Team World. Uh, Regan Carey is the commissioner of the PHF, and she joins me now. Regan, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, the, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, there's a lot to get to, into here with the uh, PHF, and I am going to bring up Daryl Watts, and, uh, and I'm sure her accountant is very happy these days, and we'll talk about <laughs> you know the new team in Montreal and how that is going. Uh, but uh, tee up the weekend here for us. I mean, I, I grew up going to, to Maple Leaf Gardens. I have fond memories uh, of going to either you know WHA games or NHL games or Ontario Hockey Association games to say nothing about you know concerts and events and the Globetrotters and all. like it's a historic venue obviously. Um, tee up the All Star Weekend for us. Yeah, thanks. No, we're we're uh, really excited to be here. Just got here to Toronto late last night, so kicking things off. Players are making their way into town here. So um, you know, we we talk a lot about the future, and when we're talking about women's sports and PHF and and uh, kind of the new era of our league, but it's also important to recognize this tradition and, and the roots of our sport. So we're we're really excited to showcase both of those uh, perspectives here as we come into Toronto. Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, it, it always is, and I'm I'm curious from from a player's point of view because we have All Star Weekend next week in Florida in the NHL, and as much as like it is an accomplishment for a lot of the NHL players, you know, for some that have been there a long time, it's kind of like, oh, here here we go again. Can I just get a couple of days off instead? I I don't get that feeling from anyone in the PHF. Uh, that, you know, this is still very much, you know, a competitive, it's a, albeit fun, uh, but it's a competitive weekend and it's a, it's a, yet another chance for these athletes um, to show what they're made of. Um, from an athlete's point of view and your conversations with them, how is this weekend treated from the, from the player's point of view? 
Yeah, well, it's about the players, and we're uh, we're excited to be able to treat them to a, a terrific, fun weekend here in uh, Toronto, but also to uh, you know allow them to showcase the best of the PHF and to have fun and and uh, give our fans that experience. So, from the standpoint of uh, our players being excited, I think the uh, added element of national pride certainly uh, elevates that quite a bit. And I've heard a lot of banter already, not just with the uh, the players, but with the, the guest coaches and the coaching staff. So, uh, there's a lot of pride on the line. And uh, people are excited to play for their uh, PHF teams, but also to represent, you know, their their nation and uh, to, to show the depth of the global game as well is really important to us. So, uh, you know, that that group is excited to galvanize here in Toronto and take on North America. So it's going to be a competitive, really fun, fun game for everybody to watch and compete in. I don't think you can ever go wrong pitting Canada against the United States. Like these are the best <laughs> games. These are filled. Like and you know, it's it's funny too. So last week we were in Owen Sound for for Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada, and Elliot and I were doing the podcast, and Blair Turnbull was with us, and I pitched the idea. I said what I've always wanted to see is a uh, a reality show focusing around the women's game, Canadian athletes, American athletes, because. Like publicly, there's a lot of, well, we respect one another and these are super athletes. We have a lot of respect out there. And I know just by knowing the athletes involved, just how much intense hockey hatred there is between the two of them. And I said, like, what would we find out if there was that behind the scenes HBO 24-7 type, you know, uh, reality show? And she was like, oh, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd figure out quickly how much we really don't like each other. Um, from, from your point of view, if there was a reality show, Team Canada versus Team USA on the women's side, what, and, and, you know, they, and they imagine that the cameras weren't there, what do you think we'd learn? Well, thank you for not asking me who would win. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I think you would see just a competitive spirit. I'm always amazed, uh, you know, even if it's who's getting to the front of the lunch line first, you know, it's just in the nature of uh, these elite athletes to, yeah. you know, bring the competition all the time. So whatever it is, I know it would uh, be, um, you know, uh, it would be taken seriously and it would be a lot of fun for viewers to watch. I'd certainly be first to tune into that. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun rivalry off the ice. But when when I think every player hits the ice, uh, it goes up a number of notches, and it's game on, and the game face is uh, brought to every arena. Um, Daryl Watts. So um, and and the salary, uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That is uh, like for for years and years we've talked about. Um, you know, women being able to, you know, uh, live comfortably with um, with the salary they, they receive for playing hockey. Um, you know, Daryl Watts is a high-level player. Uh, we all know about the situation, you know, Patty Kazmaier awards, etc. Um, what can you tell us about about Daryl Watts? And I am curious, too. I mean, this is, this is very public information from the PHF. You know, how much of that is, you know, an indication to other athletes? I know you brought some over from the, the PWHPA, whether it's Lauren Gable or Britt Howard or Cassidy Sove. How much of that is an, an, an indication to the rest of the marketplace that we're open for business here in the PHF? Yeah, I mean, all, all the things you just say is said matter for us. You know, we, we've been committed to since we've, you know, uh, starting with new ownership and a new commitment on the investment side and then new leadership in our front office and, you know, l- largely a, a lot of new leaders and uh, the team side as well. 
um, our, our commitment is to building the best home for women's professional hockey. And so we can't wait for the future. We have to bring it to our players today. And those include resources that are, you know, full medical benefits coverage and, uh, you know, appropriate salaries for these elite athletes. So we're working as quickly as we can and responsibly as we can to, to meet the moment on that front. And Daryl is certainly an example of us, um, you know, wanting to see uh, more progress faster for, for the sport. So, um, you know, we're excited to have her in the league and she's a talented player. Um, and as you mentioned, we've had other players recognizing what the PHF is, what this new era is about and understanding that there's a lot to be gained here for a player from the development side of things, but also from a professional um, financial side. And, um, you know, we're, we're creating what they've been asking for. Do you find that there's more of a momentum now trending? And I mentioned like just three, like Howard Gable and Sove, um, you know, they were three, you know, elite level athletes with the PWHPA who, who chose to go to the to the PHF. Um, how was that recruiting process? Like, I know it goes team by team and I understand it. And sometimes you just need a Pied Piper. And when one goes, it sort of opens the door for others to follow as well. But it's a it's a sensitive process. It's a delicate one. How is that from your office? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's a, a wide range of efforts and really it's just us telling our story and, and communicating effectively and consistently um, about what we're doing and what we're about. We want to be an option and we want to be the best option. So, you know, we understand players can, uh, you know, have a lot of places to go, a lot of places to train. You know, we're a global um, sport, so there's just so many factors involved and we want to assemble um, the right environment and the right direction and the right resources that make this the number one stop for professional players. So I think you're starting to see that happen. And, you know, Casey Bellamy is a, um, you know, elite former player, Brianna Decker being on board, um, you know, experience with Mel Davidson yep. and Lisa Haley. I mean, you put all that together and I think, um, you know, players understand that, that the leadership understands what they need and have been around the sport for a long time. So um, we're just going to keep working at it. You know, give us um, give us a snapshot of the league right now. Sort of, you know, at the uh, you know the, the the momentum right now. The first half of the PHF season, uh, All Star Weekend on the horizon here at uh, at Mattamy in, in downtown Toronto. Give us some. Um, give us a snapshot of where the league is at right now. New team uh, in Montreal. Don't worry, the, the expansion question is going to come up again here in a couple of seconds. So brace yourself. <laughs> but give us a give us a snapshot right now of how you see your league. A lot of positive energy and momentum. I mean, if you look at the ability for our fans to, to you know, see a full season of professional women's hockey on ESPN and TSN and um, to see the expansion have such success right out of the gates and Montreal's done a great job of, uh, of bringing this to the fans, bringing this sport and the PHF to the fans and, um, you know, often their home games are road trips in and of itself. So just the commitment to do what's necessary to make sure that we're in a great spot. I think that's replicated across all teams in the, in the office and the players. So I'm um, really proud of the fact that there's been a ton of communication with the players association and the players. They've brought a lot of great ideas to us and we've implemented a lot of that. So I think that just um, reflects where we're headed and um, our continued commitment to honor the past and inspire the future by, you know, the collaboration and the efforts we're making today. So Montreal is in this season, and I think that's one of, well, listen, like the past few years we've said, okay, is this the year Montreal is in? No, it's going to be next year. No, it's going to be like we've been waiting for Montreal for for a, a number of years. How did it all come together that this was going to be the year that Montreal joined, and, and how is it going? 
Well, I can only speak to, uh, you know, I joined in the spring and I, I've heard those same yeah. uh, comments that you were just sharing. So, um, you know, that was number one priority for me to understand and vet that opportunity. And it doesn't take a lot of time to recognize, you know, just what an important market that is for women's hockey and the, uh, the tradition there as well. So, um, and as you've seen be- between Montreal and us coming to Toronto here for the All-Star, you know, we really have a lot of respect and understanding that um, it's an important relationship to be uh, more embedded here in Canada. So uh, that North American uh, mindset is important to us. Um, so, you know, expansion has, has gone really well for us this year. And, uh, you know, I think uh, a reflection of where we are with the league is just a lot more interest and in incoming calls about expansion and, um, you know, people that are looking to invest and bring teams into their market. So uh, we're about to formalize that process a bit more um, and uh, see where that takes us. So is this a, a scenario where you could, you know, expand quickly, but it wouldn't work necessarily financially for the league? You want to be a little more cautious or is it, hey, we're open for business. This is the price tag. If you can provide what we need, um, then welcome to the PHF. Because, listen, I've you know heard an, a, a number of different rumors about different spots, even just you know, across Canada as well. How does uh, how does the expansion process work in the PHF? Well, there's a lot of layers to expansion, uh, but it, it certainly starts with the right leadership and the right people. Um, we're we're um, really diligent about uh, teaming up with the right people that share our values and our interests for not just the moment, but the, the long um, sustainable future of the PHF. So it starts with the right people um, and then obviously evaluating the market and facilities and, uh, you know, the financial support to make sure that this can be a long-term process. Um, we're not looking for any flash in the pan or any uh, headlines. Uh, we're looking for you know, long-term relationships that are going to help with the PHF, but also grow the game. So, uh, you know, th- like I said, it, it, that it just even probably a season ago, that was a lot of league calling out to markets to find out what, what was available and who was interested. Now it's uh, coming our way and pretty significantly. So that, that process will get formalized and we'll, you know, vet all the key areas, but we're looking forward to evaluating those that uh, reach out to us. Well, listen, we, uh, we wish you the best in that process. Um, congratulations on the success of Montreal uh, as the latest uh, to make it seven uh, now in the PHF. And, and good luck this weekend. And I want to remind people that for more information, PremierHockeyFederation.com is the website. Regan, thanks so much for stopping by today. Uh, I know you just got to Toronto. Uh, catch your breath. Enjoy it. Uh, should be a fantastic time at a, at a legendary arena. Um, where a lot of us spent a lot of time growing up. Thanks so much for doing this. Much appreciated, and and good luck this weekend. Thank you. appreciate it, and uh, hopefully enjoy the the PHF coming into town. Here we go. Uh, Regan Carey is the PHF commissioner. It is All-Star Weekend, Team Canada, Team USA, Team World. Uh, Round robin and championship game on Sunday. Again, more information, PremierHockeyFederation.com. Calm. Um, we will take a break and come back with the weekend review. It was a newsy one. Uh, it really was. Like, I, I know because I hear it on Twitter and my DMs are open, so I hear it on my DMs. Uh, I know at times it sounded very much like this show was essentially produced by the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> because there was so much Canucks talk on it, but it was a pretty, you know, newsy, newsy week uh, around, uh, around British Columbia. 
uh, and the Vancouver Canucks. We'll have a little recap of, of what we saw, what we heard, and what we speculate will happen next uh, around the NHL. And I'm sure Vancouver's going to come up. Even if you're sick about hearing about the Canucks, it's still a huge story. And tonight they face off against the Blue Jackets. So apologies if we should probably include a producer credit for the Vancouver Canucks uh, on today's edition. But uh, we'll talk about Talkit, the week that was, the Cosmeco deal, and everything else around the NHL this week with our producer, Matt Marchese. Stay tuned. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Weekend review time with Matt Marchese. By the way, thanks for Regan Carey for uh, to Regan Carey rather for stopping by. Commissioner of the Premier Hockey Federation in Toronto this weekend at the Madame Athletic Center for their All Star Weekend. Canada, USA, and the World Round Robin Tournament Championship game on Sunday. Uh, for more information, PremierHockeyFederation.com. Hello, Matt Marchese. Hello, Jeffrey. I have an update. Oh, what's up? Uh, so we talked about the Craig Janney and how he played for he played on a school team that he didn't attend and all that stuff yesterday correct so i got a message you did that. that was you that was your reason that was you that was that yes. me that was you yes what you uh, get so i got a message from and i'm sure this is not said person's actual name but uh, ralphie cakes on on twitter sent yeah, me a note be. I know Ralphie Cakes. Good dude. Went to school together yeah. years ago. Yeah. West End of Toronto, Humberside. Yeah, he's a good buddy of mine. So uh, Ralphie Cakes says, uh, hey, Matt, huge fan of the Merrick Show. So there we go. Uh, he saw the note on Janny. He went to one school Relative. and played for another. So uh, so um, Ralphie is originally from Connecticut. And he said, back in the day, Enfield okay. had two schools that housed freshmen and then the other that had upperclassmen. So as a freshman, he suited up for the main high school. So I was... Pretty much right, um, and uh, and that's okay. so. Good. Ralphie resides in Arizona right now, so thank you very much for that one, Ralphie. So there you go. Good, Ralphie cakes. Thanks, pal. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of the uh, random play of the day segment is uh, people that call in either or tweet in or DM in um, either to correct or add to. Like I'm waiting to see what comes in on Terry Harper stories. Like there's there seems to be a. Like whenever we do one of players in the 70s or 80s, a little bit into the 90s, uh, we get a lot of people, or I do anyway, I'm not sure about you, I get a lot of people either DMing or texting with additional stories that go along with that player. So let's park some time every day to sort of follow up. Yeah. So Monday, let's park some time to do some Terry Harper follow-up here. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get... continue to amuse myself. I, I Listen... I this is not to pat you on the back because you know that I don't like to do that like stop or pat myself on the back because I'm stop. not Barry Horowitz but um, a lot of people really like this because people people will say, they say oh yeah I remember that guy and that's exactly the impact that we were going for so it's uh, it's worked out so totally, far hundred um, percent death by nostalgia death by nostalgia <laughs> I find now here, here here's what I find Maddie. The time now between, and it's getting quicker and quicker as the speed of society and the speed of life continues to get faster and faster. I find now that the time that you start to feel nostalgic about an event now is about a cozy 10 minutes. Yeah. 
Like the time that something happens and then you start to feel nostalgic about it seems to be getting quicker and quicker as the speed of life gets faster and faster. Uh, I wonder at what point we just, everything just becomes that sort of monumental moment where like almost immediately you're feeling nostalgic about what just happened or maybe even feeling nostalgic already before the event happens. Dun, 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 dun. I'm already nostalgic about the PHF All-Star Weekend in Toronto. How about that? Yeah, there, there's a line from the show The Office, which is from uh, Andy Bernard. <laughs> then he says, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. <laughs> Hang on. Here's the thing. Every day is the good old days. It's you true. Just don't realize it at the time. It's true. That's okay. Uh, okay. Week in review time. Uh, we. Yeah. We, what do you th- got? This one will be a quick one. Uh, this happened on Sunday, but we we kind of got into it. Well, not kind of. We definitely got into it. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux fired. Rick Tockett hired, and then the Canucks proceed to lay an absolute egg in Rick Tockett's second game, to which. He basically called his team soft. And by basically, he absolutely outright called them soft. Um, Not, I mean, I don't know what else he was expecting at this point. And like you mentioned yesterday, felt like it was a little bit too early for the soft card. Soft's a hard one. Like that's a, that's a hammer, right? Like I, I, I agree with Glenn Healy's point that Fridge was talking about the other day, which is like, that might be the worst thing you call a player. Like, can you think of something that you could call a hockey player that's worse than soft, um, or that'll be that'll 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 be more poorly received than soft? Yeah, it's got. I mean, because the one the one the one thing that players pride themselves on, whether you're a skill player, whether you're a tough, like doesn't matter. The one thing they pride themselves on is playing hard. Like, yeah. no one's gonna describe themselves as, oh yeah, I was a soft player. Not a, not a chance. That was a that was an interesting one. I think one of the things now is you look to sort of advance the story a little bit. I mean, listen, it's game three under Tockett now. They'll face off against the Blue Jackets later on this evening. Uh, watch this one on Sportsnet Pacific at 10 o'clock Eastern. Um, I think we're wondering what's next for Gabby. Yeah. You know, like uh, as I was reminded, having a conversation with someone from the Society for International Hockey Research this morning, um, because they're trying to put it together a, a reunion for this team. You know, uh, 2023, I mean, this is the 50 year anniversary of that 1973 Toronto Marlboros team, one of the greatest junior hockey teams of all time. This is the 50th anniversary of it. Yeah. So I would imagine that Gabby would probably be part of those festivities. He was a big part uh, of that team. I I think we're all wondering which way Gabby goes here. Like, I know that there were a lot of, and mainly mainly this might be just, you know, people that have a a pro wrestling background and, you know, grew up in the WWF, WCW era days. We're waiting for Gabby to pop up on TNT on Wednesday night (laughs) in Rickatocket spot. Oh, yes. Um, Right? Like that, wearing an NWO shirt. Like, who knows, right? Like, does he end up back with a team again? Wish and I talked about him being, you know, so the, the, the minister of fun or the minister of good feelings around the NHL. Like, I still do think that Bruce Boudreaux has a lot of skill, like, other than, other than coaching. And make no mistake about it, like, he gets a lot out of hockey teams and has for a lot of years. Um, and I know that's his first love. His first love is coaching, and his first love is being a head coach. Um, he has said before the only team uh, that he would be interested in working as an assistant for is the Maple Leafs, and that's always been a lifelong dream of Bruce Boudreaux to be on the bench with the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Um, but you know, outside of coaching there, you know, you talk to people in various industries and the skill sets and the personality and the mood that someone like Bruce Boudreaux can bring into your organization, I think is really valuable. I really do. Like we see a lot of people that exist as, you know, sort of ambassadors for the sports brand and it's essentially, well, I'll give you an example. So uh, at Owen, at uh, Hockey Day in Canada at the banquet on last Thursday in Owen Sound, um, at the dinner I was sitting next to Wendell Clark, and you know Wendell's done a ton of these things, and you know he's a great ambassador for the the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's kind of got a really sweet gig. I mean, outside of the demands of the schedule, which are really big, and he's at a lot of these events, you see Wendell in, in a lot of places. Outside of that, like he's got a pretty enviable job maddie and that is it's his job to be wendell clark yeah like in what other job can you say hey matt marchese we want to hire you to be you but we want you to be you over there and then we want you to be you over there like as far as having like an ambassador type role with whatever organization who knows maybe it is toronto that's always been a dream of bruce boudreau i don't know but if you talk to people that, you know, are serious of putting together a very positive culture uh, with their organization, Boudreaux's got that skill set. Yeah, he's a he really guy. People love being around him. He makes it fun to go to work. Like, could you imagine if we had someone like Bruce Boudreaux at our shop? Oh, man. I might not be in the show, doing the show at home. <laughs> I may want to brave the traffic and through the weather and all that to come in every single day just to get a couple of minutes with Gabby. He... So who knows? Like, it's... It's interesting. I I'm I met him during one of the trade deadline shows. I mean, I've been dealing with Bruce for years and um, yeah. met him in person finally at one of the trade deadline shows. And I mean, the the man could not have been nicer. And and I think that's what is important because he has a personality. He's a really nice guy and he's a smart hockey guy and i and i think there's there's absolutely a role for him somewhere in the league with whichever team and and i think you know i've always i've i've thought about him as an assistant coach and i do wonder if after being a head coach for so long if even if it was the toronto job but if that's something that he would be interested in because that's a tough thing to do after being the guy for so long like when was the last yeah. time bruce boudreau was an assistant coach it's been a while um i would i just so, want to see him in i just want to see him in the game it's a better game when boudreau's in it um here here's another thing so gabby's probably forgotten more than i'll ever know about hockey i was having a conversation last so i'm driving into hockey night on last saturday and, you know, we were going to do a, a lot of stuff on Vancouver and on Bruce Boudreaux, obviously, and we all know what happened on Sunday. It's going to be a big Vancouver Canucks day. And so I'm calling around people that would have had knowledge of both Rutherford and Boudreaux. And so I called Bill Waters. So Billy and I used to do um, the original Leafs Lunch Show, not the knockoff. Kidding. <laughs> um, we used to do the original Leafs Lunch Show back on 640 about a million years ago, okay? And uh, so Bill uh, used to run the Orr Walton Sports Camp, right? So it was Bobby Orr and, and Mike Shaky Walton, and he would uh, Bill would be in charge of it. Bill's a you know longtime uh, hockey person, former agent, uh, former assistant general manager of the Maple Leafs, called Maple Leafs games, was a color analyst for Joe Bowen for a number of years, um, was a football player as well, was a 
oh geez maddie i want to say second overall draft pick of the uh toronto argonauts in sometime in the 60s i'm, I'm checking. not exactly sure anyway i'm checking um, keep filibustering yeah, check that i, th- I think I, th- I think it's uh, yeah thanks i'm i'm good at that um i just got a new tongue so i'm trying to break it in so second overall 1964 weatherford and Okay, I got it. Okay, all right. So I, I still got it, Matt. I still got CHL, CFL trivia in the back of my head. So I asked, I asked him about, you know, Rutherford and Boudreaux and because we're all wondering, like, where does the acrimony come from? Why is he getting dragged through all of this? And Bill was like, well, you know, Rutherford, by the time they were both camp counselors at the Orwalton Sports Camp, um, you know, Jim had just started his pro career and Gabby had just finished up with the Marlies and was about to start his pro career. They were both camp counselors at the uh, at, at at the sports camp. But he said, like, yeah, there was never nothing, like never anything. Like there was some pretty like when you look, I did do a story on this one of these days. We should have Waters come on and talk about it. Like whether it's someone like Jeff Tuey, who we mentioned the other day on the broadcast, who was right there with Roger Nielsen for all those years, who ran the Peterborough Peets and the Oshawa Generals, and now he's a scout with the Florida Panthers. Previous was a scout with the Arizona Coyotes, like a hockey lifer. Like, he was there uh, with those guys, too. Like, that that camp produced a lot uh, of people that populated the NHL for a long time. But just as an aside, and one of the things that Waters told me about Boudreaux was when he was working as an assistant general manager, okay, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Cliff Fletcher would have been the GM. If he wanted information on a player, like anywhere in North America, he would always check in with Boudreaux. And it didn't matter where the player was or who the player was. Gabby knew something about that guy. Oh, right-hand shot, six foot two, uh, has the heavy boots, uh, but can get around the ice okay. Like, would have, like, a scouting report on everybody. He's just that guy. He's always had that, he's always had that encyclopedic mind and had this ability to capture all this information. And then the other thing about Gabby is he can present all of it in a sort of self-depreciating kind of way, you know? And I think that's part of the charm of Gabby. Essentially... This was and has been for a number of weeks now um, the time of Bruce Boudreaux, and he's always coached in the United States um, at the NHL level, whether it's Washington, whether it's Anaheim, whether it's Minnesota. And think about this. He kind of had the entire country fall in love with him. Yeah. And that was after only one year. One year coaching in a Canadian market and everybody fell in love with Gabby. Now, a lot of it, he was put in the the position of almost being a martyr because of what was happening around him, and everyone saw, you know, the train wreck that was about to happen here with with Boudreaux and the Vancouver Canucks. But inside of one season, Matt, inside of one, sorry, not one season, one year, everybody fell in love with Bruce Boudreaux. Like, that guy belongs in a Canadian market. People adore him here. I really do believe that no matter what is, and he's got junior hockey teams and Hershey, et cetera, no matter what he does, I hope he does something in Canada because this country really loves him. And I don't think I'm exaggerating that point. Yep. Agree, uh, disagree. No, 100%. Uh, and by the way, the last time that Bruce Boudreaux was an assistant was with uh, the San okay. Francisco Spiders of the International Hockey League in 1995, 1996. The leading scorer on that team was John Purvis, who actually happened to be 
an assistant coach when I played AAA back in Brampton, which is a long time ago. And I did not know that. That was not something that I knew. <laughs> so uh, everything comes around full circle on the Jeff Merrick show. Who was the head coach? Mm-hmm. Who was the who was the head coach uh, of the Spiders? You have on. that handy? Hold on here. I can I can get it. I can get it. Just I'll, I'll keep filibustering here. I'm pulling the Jeff here. Uh, the head Just coach the of that m- team would have been Jean Perron. Oh, Montreal Canadiens coach. And Rod Langway was the assistant coach as well on that team. So pretty good. Some legends on legends on that bench. Wow. Yeah, it was it's pretty good. That's good. I like Rod I like I like Rod Langway because I like when defensive defensemen go to the Hall of Fame. Yes. That is definitely one of your things. Rod Rod Langway in the famous uh in the famous, you know, getting caught at a at a disco past curfew on the road and his coach was also there buckled. They both looked at each other and said, I won't say anything if you won't. So <laughs> great little Rod Langway story. Man, he was a good defenseman. Anyway, we're going on a lot about about Gabby here. What else happened this week? We have a couple uh, of moments left here in the well, show. Well, today's news, Austin Matthews will miss at least three weeks with the knee injury. And uh, you guys mentioned, what does this do for the Leafs and their plans for the trade deadline? Like, if this is a a longer term injury, like they don't, they're they're locked into a playoff spot now. And I'm based on their winning percentage with Austin Matthews out of the lineup, it looks like that's going to continue. Um, but where do they go, yeah. kind of from here? Like, how how much do they manage this injury? This is a this is a tricky one. You know, uh, I'm going to spend some time thinking about what Chris Cuthbert told us an hour ago and that is you know the idea that maybe this isn't the season to go for it for the maple leafs like there's just sometimes you can you can miss the timing on it right and cc brought up the junior hockey example like okay when you feel you're building to this one season where you're going to have you know your best crop of 19 year olds like that's when you really go for it and you, and you load up like that's traditionally how junior hockey teams work Um, sometimes you get a feel for what that season is going to be for an NHL team. I know teams always talk about, you know, sustainable growth and not just popping for one year. But we've seen teams, listen, we saw the Florida Panthers do it last year. Mm -hmm. The Florida Panthers really believe Bill Zito thought last year was going to be the year and he pushed all the chips in. Like that was kind of, when you look at what happened with Florida last year, that kind of felt like how you put together a junior team. You're building it for that one year and then the pain begins, and there has been some pain, certainly, for the Florida Panthers this season. I'm going to park some time and think about that idea because there are some complications. One is the idea of Kyle Dubas uh, and his contract situation. Uh, he does not have an extension. Um, how does someone like Austin Matthews, who has a, a, a new deal on the horizon, they can begin negotiating with him this offseason? Although, really, you know, I've, I, I do wonder how much of a negotiation that will be between Austin Matthews and uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, or will that be closer to Judd Moldaver, who's the agent, essentially saying to the Maple Leafs, this is what my client wants. Take, take it or leave it. Not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I don't think that, you know, Matthews, Matthews would be a pig at the trough about it, but... This is this is get this this one will be an interesting one. Uh, essentially, I, I think they take out the the wait and see approach from Kyle Dubas. I, I don't think that he's, I don't think he's going to do anything other than just stay the course and stay the plan. I still think they want one forward, and I still think they want one defenseman, and that is probably the route that they go. Um, speaking of go, we're gone. Thanks so much for listening this week, um, and thanks to everybody who either 
you know, uh, emailed in their uh, random player of the day or interacted. My DMs are open. Go for it uh, on Twitter at Jeff Merrick. Um, ditto Matt Marchese, our producer. Um, the random player of the day is a lot of fun. Uh, we really enjoy doing it. And thanks so much for playing along. Uh, Want to thank uh, Reagan Carey, PHF commissioner. It's their all-star weekend in Toronto. Chris Cuthbert from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Tonight is the Ottawa Senators, the Maple Leafs on Hockey Night, and the recovering Elliot Friedman. Have a great weekend, and when you see penalty boxes, think Terry Harper.